<clears throat> Are we all done fidgeting? Yep. <laughs> Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of the Long Gun Kitties. This is John Wang, your most handsome non-activist ever on the face of the planet. Today we are joined by Angie, Dan, and Jerry. But we also have a very, very special guest. Yay. Long-time social worker, Jolivan Wem. Hooray! Yay. Yay! Greetings, sir. Thank you so much for coming all the way down to the armpit of Singapore to join <laughs> us. <laughs> we are very close to your usual haunt, uh, like Honglin Park. Oh, right. Yes, yes. I do Yes, I do go to Honglin Park once in a while. That's true. <laughs> but it's not a usual haunt. Oh, I, read okay. the, <laughs> I read the interview that you did that basically you're trying to say the gist of it is I really don't like Honglin Park as a controlled social space for uh, protesting or for trying to make a stand on freedom of speech or whatever. Is, is, is that... Yes, that's case? true. And that's one of the reasons I don't really like Honglin Park. Yeah. Yeah? Because um, it's a bit of a, a joke yeah, for you to be only able to express yourself there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So I think the whole of Singapore should be Honglin Park. Exactly. Well, okay. for, for people who don't know you, could you maybe introduce yourself and what you do? Okay, um, I'm a social worker, so I've been involved in providing um, assistance and help to low-wage migrant workers for the last 15 years. So um, that, that was how I, I got involved in civil society, and that's also how I learned more about that's how I learned about marginalized populations in Singapore and some of the challenges and difficulties that they face. So um, my experience as a social worker has been quite instrumental to who, who I am today. Maybe we start off, uh, just like broad topic, right? Mm. If there's one misconception about you out there that you can dispel immediately, right? What would you choose? Just one. <laughs> <laughs> Where should you start, um, right? I think people think I'm very angry and very bitter. Yeah, and, you don't look quite, like and quite yeah. And quite aggressive. I think that, I'm, I mean, I'm not saying that this is the general perception, but I think there are perceptions in some quarters that I'm like that, lah. Yeah. yeah. What quarters would, would you? Would um, you I don't know. Just, just people that I've met randomly and whom I don't know well, and then they tell me, "Oh, you know, I, I have this impression that you are this very angry person, very bitter." Mm. You, and, you are almost and, portrayed and, like a like a rioter <laughs> on the streets or something. Like um, not necessarily a rioter la, but just someone who is like very anti-government and always very angry. Everything is the government's fault. Yeah. So, do you feel that way? No, no, I don't feel that way. I mean, um, I, I think what I do basically is just to highlight issues of injustice. Lah. It may not necessarily be government, but you know, it could also be just the way in which certain um, sections of um, society behave, like you know, the way employers behave, companies. And yeah, so I'm, I'm, so, so what I usually talk about has to do with oppression in general. Lah. Yeah, and, and government is, is, in Singapore, of course, government is one of the key um, sources of oppression because we live in a one-party authoritarian state. Yeah, but but that's not just what defines um, who I am and the work that I do, like. Yeah. So what are what are some of the other things that define you outside of social work? Like what what are the other things that you're interested in? Because all I've read about you so far, I think, are just your court cases. The the fact that <laughs> you're getting into trouble again, right? And right, again, right. right? I mean, understandably so, lah, because yeah. my private life is not something that I will put on public platforms, mm-hmm. yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, of course, I have a life outside of my work. <laughs> I mean, I, I I like to hang out with my friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to go karaoke. You know, mm. interesting. I, I enjoy having long buffet dinners and lunches. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like you're Singaporean. My goodness, you're like you're you're almost human now. <laughs> almost, almost human now. Oh yes, almost. Yeah, yeah, almost, yeah. Um, so I don't. I think I guess we can't like run away from the fact that you are very well known for all the court cases and and uh, the trouble that you've been. In with the government. Right, right? yeah. La, so that's what de- defines me at the moment. Yep. And I can understand why. La. Is it the very first one that you you had a run-in with the law? It was in November or 2016. Is that your very first one? For the um, public assembly without permit? No, my first thing? run-in with the law actually I think was sometime in 2014. Mm. Wow, okay. Yeah, that was when... Eh, no, I think it was even before that. This was in 2012 maybe? 
Okay, I, I don't remember this. What did you do, sir? What did you do? <laughs> <laughs> what naughty things okay, were you up was, to? Uh, at the time, Russia was going to pass this very homophobic law. So um, we had organized a Hongling Park event and also got signatures for a petition for Russia to repeal these homophobic laws. Mm. So it was a solidarity event la, mm. uh, that we organized at Hongling Park. So then when we got the signatures, we decided to go outside the Russian embassy to protest mm. and also to pass that petition to the Russian oh, right, right, right. Ab- ambassador yeah so when we did that that was when the police came yeah and they um well, were investigating us lah. yeah so we didn't man- we didn't go into a station or take a statement but they came and they recorded what we were doing there and wanted us to leave lah. yeah so that was like the first brush that i had with um with the law with the police how old were you when this happened how old was i uh? eight years ago this was eight years ago so i was 31 32 Okay. Well, yeah. how, how was your? How did you feel when when the police came? I, I assume that that's the, your first time ha- having this. Okay la, I actually was half expecting it anyway. So, mm-hmm. so I didn't really feel particularly scared or anything. I guess partly because there were a few other individuals with me as well. So when the police came, um, in fact, I felt that we were bullying the police <laughs> rather than the other way around. Yeah, Wonderful. Be- yeah, because we because the police wanted to see our IC. And then we said, you know, what right do you have to see your IC? Yeah, and they said, we are police, that's why we have the right to see your IC. But you must tell me, lah, which law, under which law, which act, which provision gives you this right. Yeah, if you cannot tell me, I'm not going to show you. Yeah, so the poor guy had to go and like call his boss. <laughs> <laughs> hey, which law, uh, which act? Uh? So it took him like, I think 15 minutes to figure it out. Then he said, okay, this is the exact provision and law. I said, okay, can. Then we will show you our Oh, that is wonderful. <laughs> is it something that people can still do just for PSA yes, purposes? Yes, actually, you see, because the problem in Singapore is that we are so used to authorities pushing us around, mm. right? So um, everything that they do actually has to be, has to be legal. Yeah, so they have to tell you exactly which law they are demanding you to do certain things. Mm. Yeah, so we shouldn't just let them boss us around, push us around and say, oh, you must do this, you must do this without them explaining why and where in the legislation allows them to do so. Ah. So but since then, right, like having, haven't been charged in court and so and so forth, mm. has, has there been any anxiety about where your place in society will be after that and how people will perceive you? I suppose I don't really, I'm not so too worried about that because I've been involved in, you know, um, human rights work, civil society work for the past um, 15 years. Mm-hmm. So I'm in a way also quite used to being seen as someone who is very critical of laws and policies which are not fair, being critical of the PAP or being critical of the government. So now that I'm being charged and being persecuted in court, it's not something which was a big leap for me. Lah. So if I had started out in this work and had been charged just soon after I started out. I think I would have been very scared. I would have been very worried. Yeah, because I haven't had the kind of experience. Yeah, but now having gone, having been involved in a lot of, um, human rights work, I don't necessarily, I don't see these, I, I don't see what's happening to me as something that will affect me too adversely. Lah. Yeah. So I think forefront on every, I mean, everyone on this table will have a better understanding of you. Lah. But forefront on everyone's mind, right? Like, just look at the common men on the ground. Lah. I believe their question will be, why? Like, why are you doing this? Right, okay. Well, I, I do this because I believe in standing up and doing things which is fair and just. So, so would, it, would it matter if all that you've done, right, would be like no one would appreciate it or no one really cares about it? I wouldn't say no one cares about it. Like, I think there are people who are in solidarity with me and who support what I do. Admittedly, these numbers are small, like, yeah, but um, that doesn't really matter. Lah. Yeah, I believe that it's important to do what is right. And for me, it's also very important to act as an empowered citizen and an empowered individual. So, you know, when I see the way my, a lot of my friends and my colleagues, the way they behave, the, the level of fear that blankets them, I, I feel like that isn't how I want to live my life. Right? What, what is wrong with, say, holding a protest in the MRT train? What is wrong with a few citizens gathering peacefully outside Honling Park? Yeah, to speak up for things that we believe in. Yeah, we're not being violent. We are not encouraging violence. You know, we're not causing any public disturbance. It's all very peaceful. So what's wrong with that? So I don't want to live in, in fear all the time. Lah. Yeah, that I, and, and to be conscious that I cannot cross certain boundaries, you know? Yeah. So I think it's important to act as an empowered individual. And I think what I do is, is a result of that kind of thinking. Eh. 
That's really interesting. So, so would you say that having gone through all the experiences that you've had, uh, you know, being kicked around by the authorities, it, I'm not literally ki- unless you have been literally kicked around. <laughs> I don't think they dare to lah. Others, <laughs> others, I'll be screaming on my social media. <laughs> okay, fantastic. So, but like you know, figuratively, you know, being being fucked over, right, uh, by them with all these multiple court cases, and has it? empowered you even more now that you've been through it all and you're like well yeah this is what you can do well it's me. strangely liberatory la, because I feel like hey you know I, I've, re- I've really like gone to so-called the extreme end of activism yeah and I've experienced it I've done it so I don't feel like I'm I, like before you know in the past when I was involved in, in in migrant rights advocacy that you know I had to negotiate these boundaries I must be very careful so in that sense I, I feel very strangely liberated la. yeah and does that empower you to do even more? Yes, yes. I mean, I, I don't think this is going to stop me. La. Yeah. So I, I do feel it's in, important. I think persistent actions are important if we want change to happen. Yeah. So if I get charged and then I get convicted and then I say, okay, I'm not going to be involved in this kind of work anymore. So I, I, I think that would be counterproductive. Yeah. Right. So I, I do believe in all the actions that I have done and that I will continue doing them. Mm. Sir, awesome. why, in your opinion... Why do you think the Singapore government is reacting in such an adverse manner that is so disproportionate to your your actions? I mean, you're yeah. just. I mean, I mean, I mean, and this is no disrespect intended. You are just a dude. You are not. <laughs> no, 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 not, not in the, not in the. Yeah, like I said, no disrespect intended. You're just one mm. man. Your message can only go so far, right? Yeah. In terms of influence and power, uh, you have some. But not enough to topple a country. Like, you know, <laughs> not, yet, not. not yet. Definitely not. Yeah, um, yeah. Why, 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 why is it's this? It's not my intention to topple any country. <laughs> so, <laughs> exactly. So why, why is this? Why is, why, why is the government so afraid of you? Why are they acting in such a manner? Yeah, I don't know, you know, because I haven't figured this out. I, I was thinking to myself, um, number one, I'm gay. So I speak up on a lot of LGBT issues. And then I speak up on a lot of migrant worker issues. And then I talk about things like POFMA, freedom of expression. Yeah, so these are issues which, you know, the majority of Singaporeans are not concerned about. Yeah, and I also, so I also campaign quite actively against the death penalty. Yeah, most Singaporeans don't really care about whether there's a death penalty in Singapore or not. Yeah, so that's why I don't understand why I'm being targeted, right? Because what I do, what I say, doesn't really have a lot of resonance with the majority of Singaporeans. Yeah, but I think it's precisely because um, these issues don't have a lot of support of Singaporeans. And I think that they are very important and should have the support. That's why I do them. Lah. Yeah, so, so it puzzles me why I get targeted. Because I see like other opposition politicians or activists uh, talking about things which are similar to what I talk about, but they don't get targeted. Yeah, I give one example, which is um, the contempt of court um, proceedings, right? Mm. So I've been, I've been charged and convicted for scandalizing the judiciary. Mm. Uh, this means that I, I, I criticize the judge, the judiciary. Mm. So, I mean, there are other people who do that all the time. I go to like social media posts and I see people say things like Singapore has a kangaroo court mm. and even um, um, Kenneth J. Ratnam, right? He has a blog. Yeah, and he has a Facebook page, and he regularly makes these kinds of remarks, mm. you know, mm. and he and he says things which are very defamatory also right. of the prime minister and the prime minister's right. wife. But you know, he he doesn't get sued or anything. Right. And here I am, my post on a Facebook post which has only twenty likes and shared by one person, right. <laughs> <laughs> and yet they are coming after me. I'm like, why? <laughs> Do you feel like you're unfairly targeted? Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying unfairly targeted because, I mean, this is a system. I mean, authoritarian systems mm-hmm. are never fair, lah, right? Yeah. So, but it puzzles me why I'm, I'm, I'm being singled out lah, when the issues that I campaign on are issues that the government doesn't really, uh, I mean, which Singaporeans don't really care about. So if I don't have a sway, you know, on, on, on the majority of Singaporeans, so why do you want to target me? I mean, I'm not like uh, an opposition politician, right? Where I try to canvass for votes from Singaporeans and try and influence them. You know, I'm, I'm not doing it in that kind of way. Yeah, and I have also been involved in um, other illegal public gatherings whenever there have been people who are sentenced to death. Like, so, 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 for example, when there are executions outside Changi Prison, mm-hmm. yeah, every year, I think the anti-death penalty activists will organize at least one event outside mm-hmm. Changi Prison. Mm-hmm. That's an illegal gathering, and I have participated in those before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yet, you know, there has never been a crackdown on those kinds of gatherings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but this time around, when I uh, was involved, I got charged. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, it is a bit puzzling 
to me. Yeah. So my question to you is that, like, because you're you're like I guess the one person who cut out all this shit, right?、Mm. Uh, do you feel like it's helped your cause, like, because you're in the papers, you're in the、mm. news, and and I guess people who don't know of you and the causes that you kind of are, you know, speaking up for, they get to know about you, right? Do you feel like there are more people kind of helping your cause now? I think there's、previously? more awareness.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is more awareness definitely, and I think these court cases have helped to highlight some of the injustices of our laws, lah. Like for example, I was convicted of skyping someone without a permit. That、right? was Joshua, right? Joshua Wong. Yes. So I saw on a lot of social media feeds, huh? Skype also must get permit, lah. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, so so there is more awareness that you know, I we I didn't know that Singapore had this kind of law. How come we have such ridiculous laws? Yeah. So, how is that proceedings?、Uh, how did the proceedings for that one go?、Um, has it been settled? No, it hasn't been settled. So this was in 2016, right? And now、yeah. it's 2020. That's right. Yeah. So, so they are dragging this case out, lah. And I suppose their intention of dragging it out is to tire you, lah. Yeah. So, what are the things that you need to do when when a case is being dragged out in this way? Do you have to like attend certain proceedings, like again and again, or? Like is it is it just something that's at the back of your mind? Yeah, it's just something that's at the back of your mind, lah. So I don't have to go for a lot of meetings.、Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a lawyer who is representing me for free. Yeah, so they are the ones doing all the research and all the arguments. So I don't really have a lot of work to do, and I'm very grateful to them for stepping in, lah, to do all this、uh, work for me for free. So I don't feel like the cases are taking up a lot of my time.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, my life still goes on as normal. The only thing that's inconvenient is that they have my passport. Oh, yeah. So each time、shit. I want to go overseas, I need to apply to the courts for my passport. Do they usually grant it? Yes, they usually grant it. Okay,、yeah. that's、On、good. On condition that I don't talk about my cases when I go overseas. Oh <laughs> shit! Oh, that really sucks. But、yes. now that we have the internet, you can talk about it here, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. You don't need to talk about it overseas, right? Yeah, yeah you can still、um, broadcast your views. So in case some overseas network want to interview you, do you need to get the permit to Skype them again? <laughs> uh, who knows, right? Our law is so broad, right? It could, it, it, this could even be illegal. <laughs> but, but no,、oh, like, I mean, I have been talking to a lot of um,、uh-huh. um overseas uh reporters, yeah. So there has been quite a fair bit of um international interest, yeah, in what's happening here in terms of our, our freedom of expression. So I've been talking to people about that. Do you feel like the international interest helps put pressure on our government at all? Um, yes, it does. I think the government likes to say that it's not pressured by it, but I'm pretty sure it is because Singapore depends a lot on what people internationally view it for things like investments, trade, and our economy. Right? While yes, it stands its ground on a lot of things, but doesn't necessarily mean that it has no impact, lah. Yeah. So I I do believe that international opinion and what happens overseas has some kind of influence in the way our government thinks. So I, there's this like burning question inside inside of me that I need、okay. to ask you. Ask ask. Is like is that 20k that、uh, Mr. Lee Sin Yang、uh, paid for for your security deposit, right? Ah.、Uh-huh. Uh, for for your appeal, how did that happen? How did that happen? He just contacted me out of the blue, lah. That he that you know they were willing to. To put down the deposit, yeah. So I mean, got free money, I take lah, right? Take, so, <laughs> I'm not a rich man, so. <laughs>、uh-huh. So so I said yes, and and yeah. So it, it was quite a straightforward transaction, lah. So, but I think it's quite outrageous that the government is asking for twenty k deposit, lah. Yeah, I mean, it's not as if I'm the one bringing the suit. You know, I'm not filing a civil claim. Yeah, you are the one who is charging me. Why are you asking me to put a deposit for an appeal, lah? It's like you're asking somebody who has who has committed crime, like someone who is a robber, you know, someone who has committed petty crime,、um, to put up a deposit, you know, because you are going to charge him in court. Cannot be, what?、Mm, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's the same kind of logic, lah. So why am I? Why do I have to pay? Yeah,、mm. just to appeal against my sentence. And somehow, it's not something that it's not some egre some egregious serious harm that I have done to society. It was just two sentences on Facebook, you know. Yes. So, so where is the fairness in this, lah? Yeah. So over the many many years, over from maybe let's say from two thousand twelve until now, what's the damage been so far in terms of monetary? I don't know. Uh, health. What has the total amount of damage been? 
Yeah, and how much time has you have you lost because you're doing your social work, you know? And if you are, time is taken away from you from social work, you know, how much is going to impact the people you're going to help? No lah, not much actually because these court hearings happen once every few months. I meet my lawyers once in a while only just to discuss the submissions and the arguments that they're going to make. So I haven't actually lost a lot of time. I'm still doing what I enjoy doing, which is um, working with migrant workers. So I don't feel that my mission in life, or at least what I want to do in my, my day-to-day work, has been affected that much. Lah. Yeah. Then what about the fines, sir? The fines. Yes, okay, sir, the well, fines. I haven't paid anything yet. So. <laughs> okay, good, good. <laughs> because good, everything is on appeal, you see. Yeah. So can we, can you just update like our listeners how many charges are against you and how many cases are against okay. you right now? Right. So I have eight charges. Two are for illegal. No, three are for illegal public assembly. Two are for not signing a police statement, and one is for vandalism. What? And one is for contempt of court. Yeah. So I have been charged with vandalism. What did you vandalize? That is a very good question. <laughs> Because I did not vandalize anything. But okay. you see, we have this law in Singapore called the Vandalism Act, which was enacted during the 1960s. Yeah, and this law says that as long as you put something up on a public property, that is considered vandalism. So I could be taking like a painting and I lean it against, say, the wall, the wall of, say, some ministry building. Yeah, that is considered vandalism. Holy shit, okay. Yeah. So what I did in relation to my case was I... I, I pasted two A4 pieces of paper on the MRT train with scotch tape, ma. yeah? And after the event was over, I took down those two pieces of paper, including the scotch tape, mm. and made sure that there were no marks left <laughs> of the well MRT done, train. Low well done, well scotch done. Tape, yes, right? yes, and yet, I was still charged for vandalism because the law allows them to do that. As long as you put... Lean something against the wall. As much as lean something against the wall, that is called vandalism, really. It has nothing to do with defacement, damage. So they have vandalized the word vandalism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So the definition has been like stretched beyond belief, you know. So I don't understand how this can be vandalism, but and it is. It, and it's amazing because you see like these so-called acts of vandalism, and I say it with air quotes, right? All over Singapore, you know, people like posting up rental signs or oh, whatever yeah, yeah, shit, yeah. right? And then they're not charged for it. But I suppose you'd, like the words on your paper were like... Well, yeah <laughs> la, I guess those were words that they didn't like to hear. Would la. you want to like, right? would the, you like to repeat those words because here? The, the, uh, <laughs> because the truth hurts, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically, the, the words on those pieces of paper were Marxist conspiracy question mark. And I think I, I put hashtag no to um, ISA detentions. Yeah. Mm. So, so, so the Marxist conspiracy basically was something that happened in 1987 when um, 22 activists were arrested and tortured and detained without trial by the Singapore government. Mm. So when me and my friends were involved in that protest, it was to commemorate the 30th anniversary of those arrests and detentions. Yep. And so maybe I'll- we can uh, pull back a little bit from all of your court cases and all that. Uh, you can talk a little bit about your work with migrant workers mm. and what kind. What was the so-called the impetus, right? That 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 caused you to want to pick up. You know, you, you can call I suppose activism, or you can call it the the path that you that you undertake, lah. Ah, okay. So I was involved in. I mean, I studied social work at NUS. Um, so I was inclined towards wanting to do something with those who were disadvantaged. But the anyway social work curriculum doesn't teach you about social justice and human rights. Lah. They just teach you how to help people. Lah. Yeah, so they will just teach you with skills, how you help families and individuals cope, how to be more resilient, how yeah, that kind of stuff. Lah. Nothing so, at the systemic level. Lah. Um, yes, but, very, but not much. Lah. So they don't emphasize much on things like policy, laws, what is justice. So we don't talk about what are human rights, what, are, what social justice. So basically, they teach you how to uh, patch up the symptoms? Uh, yes, yes. So they okay. teach you how to... Yeah, so, so, so they teach you to basically how to um, sweep up the dirt lah, right? without asking where, where, where the dirt is coming from in the first basically, place. Basically, right? Yeah, so, so, yeah so, so it's very remedial. Lah. So a lot of the things that, they, that we learn and they teach is very remedial. So I was already inclined towards wanting to do that kind of work. So then I was introduced to um, the Catholic Church at the time. They were involved in doing direct services for migrant workers. Yeah, so I volunteered with them for about two years in my undergraduate years. 
Then uh, when I graduated, I decided that I would want to continue doing this. Lah. So the person who was in charge of the migrants' work at the Catholic Church um, told me that she was going to set up home. And then I said, okay, yes, I'd be happy to, to help you set up this organization. And for me, it was very exciting lah, because I was deeply interested in the work and it was an opportunity to do something very new because we were starting from scratch. So which means you get to decide the direction, you get to set the agenda. So all that was very exciting for me. And, and, and migrant worker issues were important to me because I also personally grew up with live-in domestic workers. So I know what it's like for a domestic worker to have to live and work in the household, you know, 24 hours a day. And the kinds of stories that I... I hear from my mom, you know, when she, when she tells me about her friends who hire domestic workers, no days off, uh, and yeah, so all, all these kinds of things um, had a very significant impact, impact on me, so I felt that this was definitely a very important area to get into. And because you've been in this line of work for so long, right? You started like 12 years ago mm. till now. Have you seen any like significant improvement in the way that people are treating them? Like, I mean, just on the... the the very uh, local level where human-to-human Singaporeans treating, yeah, for example, domestic help, uh, construction workers, to the policy level. Have you seen any good... Yes, there has been changes. I mean, I, I wouldn't say there haven't been any. So, I mean, when we first started out, nobody even knew what kinds of challenges migrant workers were facing. But now when you talk to people, you know, they'll say, oh, yes, they pay a lot of recruitment fees to come here, thousands of dollars. Oh, yeah, a lot of domestic workers. I think it's very shameful that people don't give them days off. Yeah, so there's definitely a lot more awareness now than before. And also the laws and legislation have changed. Mm. Yeah, but I would say that these changes are quite, it's just tweaks. Yeah, nothing, nothing systemic, nothing substantial. And, and these are all minor changes. But these minor changes are important also, right? Because th- this is how you keep a movement going. And this is also how people feel um, invested and empowered to continue doing the work. Because you keep, you do, 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 and then you don't even see a bit of change, then it can be demoralizing for some people. Lah. What do you think is the, like, the biggest cause of so-called the woes of the migrant workers in Singapore? The biggest cause, uh, uh, I think the fact that they don't have political power. Lah. So if you don't have political power, it's very hard for you to speak up for yourself. It's very hard for you to advocate for rights. So th- the fact that we are also not a democracy is also one of the reasons it is difficult to push for change. The migrant workers being able to get political power. They will be allowed to form their own unions. Yeah, They will be allowed to advocate freely, to campaign freely for their own rights. Now they cannot because if they do so, they will the government will revoke their work permits, send them back. If you look at the situation in Hong Kong, for example, there are a lot of domestic workers there who form their own unions. Yeah. So when a when a politician makes a racist remark or xenophobic remark, wow, you see the whole bunch of them like just protesting outside the politician's office and demanding an apology. You never ever see that here in, in Singapore. I guess the other thing is also because Singaporeans don't even have the political power yes, to do that's so. Right. Uh, except for uh, our be- dearly beloved Hong Lim Park, right? Just five <laughs> minutes yes. from here. And I, I guess the worst thing is, even if they had the power, I don't even know if people would do so because mo- most people are so apolitical about so many things, yeah, we right? we have a very poor concept of civil society. Right, yes, that's true. Uh, but it's two sides of the same coin. Uh. The reason we are so apathetic is also because we are so disempowered, right? Yeah. yeah so it comes together. Would you consider sharing with us, like, uh, very quickly, a, any any interesting or memorable story or adventure that happened when you were helping out or advocating for the rights of migrant workers? Oh, memorable story! Yeah. Maybe something that speaks about the nature of Singaporeans. <laughs> <laughs> good or bad, good or bad, man. It's very hard to generalize, lah. But I would say that um, sometimes when you okay, I'm just talking about employers of domestic workers, lah. Mm, there is a sense among many of them that the fact that I'm you should be grateful that I have hired you and that you have a job in this country. So if the domestic worker is unhappy about certain things, if a boss were to verbally abuse us, say things like fuck you, you know, vulgarities, mm. and shout at you, I mean, you as an employee, you wouldn't be surprised if that person walks out of the job. Like, I say, no, mm. I'm not coming back to work. I, do, I cannot work and live in such a hostile environment. Yeah, but when a domestic worker does it, somehow it is considered acceptable. Uh, no, and when an employer does something like that to a domestic mm. worker, somehow it is considered acceptable. When I call an employer and I say, oh, you know, this domestic worker says that uh, you shouted at her, you screamed at her, then she's like, huh? You mean she made a mistake? I, can, I cannot say her. 
Yeah, so but it's not just say, you see, it's not like you sit down and then you, you discuss and get feedback, right? <laughs> it's, it's like, you know, outright disrespect, verbal abuse, yeah, and shouting. So then when you talk to them, you get this sense la, that, you know, they should be happy, they should be grateful that they have a job here, right? Because they often say things like, oh, you know, she doesn't appreciate my kindness. In, in my conversations, I, I feel like there is this sense of um, entitlement and superiority, la. Because you are from a developing country, because you wouldn't have a job if it wasn't for me, um, then you should expect lower standards. You shouldn't expect to be treated as an equal human being. So do you know what I find amazingly admirable about you? Is that if I were in your position, and every single day while working on these things, I come to see the nature of human beings in Singapore, and how we can be so entitled, and how we can be, be the people that we are, how we can treat people in such an unfair way, and not lose my idealism because you still have that idealism about you I would have long ago turned into a bitter cynical <laughs> you know like you mean like you are right now <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing how do you do it how do you well, do I it? mean it's I mean all human beings are like that la. And, and the reason these things can happen is because we don't have sufficient legal and social protections right so when in, in the absence of structural protection legal and social protections everyone will behave like that. La. Yeah. So it's not a uniquely um, Singaporean um, situation. Also, I can understand that in, in living in Singapore can be very stressful, right? Because I see domestic workers who look after ama, akong, you know, and then they run away from the employer's families. Yeah, and then the, the employers get very frustrated. Yeah, and I can also understand why, because um, caregiving options here are quite limited and can be very expensive. So families here need domestic workers in order to cope with their day-to-day needs yeah when that shouldn't be the case right yeah um, there should be more options and services available which the government has to provide yeah rather than ask you to rely on a low-wage migrant domestic worker so in a way I, I also see the problem from a more structural point of view like, and it is not because um, Singaporean employers or Singaporeans are inherently bad yeah but the environment shapes your behavior also yeah so I think that has to to change that yeah. is like an amazingly benevolent take on the world, I think. Okay, I have not seen you angry at all or ang- or bitter or like <laughs> jaded. At, you know, like, you don't give me the sense. Maybe you need to talk to my exes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should. Maybe we should. Let's, let's talk about your meeting with Dr. Mahathir. Tun Mahathir. Oh, right, Tun yes. Mahathir. Well, so, I guess, I guess the, the reporting of that was a bit irrational, right? I think the... <laughs> Like, to me, that is a very interesting case for a couple of reasons. Uh, one of it is that, for once, you're not really at the center of it. And for two, it's it's really just a maelstrom of, I would call, a bit poor optics. Uh, and at the same time, also, how the media just completely capitalized on it. Just, like, just pounced and ran with the story so fucking hard that, had I not, just prior to this episode, went and did my research, right, I would have completely eaten up the, the narrative as well, just based on certain pre-assumptions about you. Mm. And, so I think, and I think that's what is happening a lot with, like, the average Joe, average citizens on the streets. So, could you give us, like, maybe, like, the pre- of what happened, like, for example, how did the four of you decide to meet with him and, like, what actually happened that is completely not rep- reported to, to, to the rest of us, right? Because we're just, like, reading, like, stupid shit about what happened. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. Okay, so how this happened was PJ, uh, PJ Tam, he, he called me, actually, and he said, Hey, Wapiao and some friends in Malaysia are arranging a meeting with uh, Mahathir. So would you be interested to join? Yeah, so I said, wow. I mean, that's a once in a lifetime opportunity, right? To meet uh, the Prime Minister of Malaysia. So I said, okay, yes, sure. And when I said yes, in my mind at the time, I was thinking this would be a civil society event. Yeah, um, there will be a combination of Malaysian and Singaporeans, mm. and we will be like in this room. Yeah, yeah. Like some gala dinner yeah. kind of deal. Yeah. <laughs> ah, yeah, yeah, there will be, be food. Yeah, there will be food. There will be like buffet, maybe, maybe uh, there will be like, 30, 40 of us, maybe. Yeah, and it was yeah. like some kind of a dialogue with a big group of people. Yeah, so so that's what I thought it was. Uh, because never in your mind did you think that, why would the Prime Minister just want to meet three people? So, so it was just very bizarre. Yeah. Uh. So that was what I had in mind. I was like, oh, yeah, 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 okay. So I thought I would just be like sitting, because I know nothing about Malaysian politics. And especially if you, if I go there as a Singaporean representative, the thing you want to talk about is Malaysia-Singapore relations, lah, right? And I know next to nothing about that. Yeah. So I just thought I'd be sitting there very quietly, sitting in the corner, taking notes. Mm. So that was the impression I had. 
And then when I think it went closer to the date, then there was when PJ told me, hey, it's just me, you, Kirsten, and Wapiao. And Sunny. <laughs> and maybe Sunny. So I was like, uh, huh? so few people. Uh. Is and there ha- going to be buffet? How, how long? <laughs> so I was like, how long are we going to be seeing him? Oh, maybe about an hour. An hour? I was like, what do I have to say to him for an hour? <laughs> uh-huh. So he was like, oh, just, just go. Lah. I mean, I was like, okay, Lord, since I already said yes, I already said inside the time, I decided, okay, Lord, just go ahead with it. Lah. Um, finally, we met. And it did turn out that I had a lot of things to say because he triggered me quite a lot. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I read in one of your interviews, uh, I think the word you used was regressive politics or something. Like uh, yes, yes, yes. So he, I mean, it's not surprising that he had these views. Like, I, I didn't go there thinking that he was, that he turned into some kind of a liberal or, you know. Liberal state. Yeah, so, so, so no, that was not what I had. But of course, when he says things which are, Regressive, of course, you will want to have a response. Uh, you so, you so want to respond to it, right? What are the, like, for example, what are some of the regressive and reactionary things? Yeah, that like, he, he said? would say things like, um, I don't understand young people nowadays, why um, this whole homosexual thing is so popular. It's so <laughs> disgusting for two men. He actually said that it's disgusting <laughs> for two men to kiss each other. So it's like, hello! <laughs> Let me show you! <laughs> But how, okay, how in what context did that come out? Did he know that you're a homosexual, or um, he just likes to say these things willingly? I I mean, you see, everything that he said in that meeting was stuff that was known publicly already. So yeah. he was quite, um, I mean, he wasn't so silly as to tell us things which wasn't out there already, lah. Mm-hmm. So he had very regressive views about Malays, very regressive views about women, very regressive mm-hmm. views about homosexuals. So, but all these things, if you were to look at his political career, these are stuff that he said before, lah. He's so a woman, la, At least he's consistent. Well, well true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, so those were, so so those were the things that he was saying, which I, which which of course provoked a response from people like like me, lah. So it ended up that I did have quite a lot to say. And How was his reaction? What did you say? And then what was his reaction? I mean, I said that I, I tried to, of course, be as calm and, and <laughs> civil and as non-angry as possible, right? Mm. So, <laughs> like, so, um, but I was, but I did talk quite a bit, like, yeah, in response to those views. And then, but he's very grandfatherly, like, and very uh-huh. uncle, like. So, like, yeah. when I met him, um, he shook my hand, but it was, it was very, he, it was barely a handshake. He, like, just clasped my fingers. Yeah, that was that was that was how yeah, that was how he greeted gay. me. Yeah he, <laughs> yeah, he didn't want to touch the gay. I'm sure he got his internal no, security I, department people to do background checks yeah. on me. Like, they, he must have known he was meeting a homosexual. No, I, I think he just didn't want to catch it from you. you know, like, yeah, uh, like what if he touched you? Right, yes, and then he wanted I'm, to kiss another I'm like man. The Wuhan virus. Right? Oh shit! Or he might have been afraid that I wanted to kiss him, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. or maybe he's just oh, afraid ew, that. Ew, no, gross. maybe he's afraid that <laughs> like he, he would you. want to kiss you. You know, uh, oh, like right. couldn't resist you. Oh shit! No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> so, uh, well, I'm glad that didn't happen. So, <laughs> so uh, I'm a little bit disappointed that did, that didn't happen. I guess. <laughs> but then the whole thing just turned out to be, oh, you guys are a bunch of traitors going across the border to talk about how Malaysia is gonna subsume Singapore. Right. Yeah, lah. So it got twisted, and then we it turned out that, and we were and it was spun to make us look like we were just a bunch of of traitors, lah. Right. Like yeah. like you said, which was yeah quite. I mean, this was definitely an angle that I wasn't expecting that yeah yeah so but i did make a point actually because they were saying that pj went there to ask Mahathir to bring democracy to singapore but actually that's not what he said la. i mean the the specific i think first of all i think pj right he's a provocateur in in that particular instance yes and that he he, he phrased his wording very very carefully mm. and and i think that what the pp did subsequently was to like just put a twist on the whole thing it, it, it makes sense semantically but it, it's definitely taken out of context so what PJ said was he hoped that Mahathir can promote democracy in Southeast Asia after that what the what the PAP and what subsequently the news media in Singapore took that as is oh you want Mahathir to bring democracy to Singapore Right. Or something like, like, right. like as if like as if you want Mahathir to invade yeah, and, and, and to interfere in our politics yeah, correct. Like, yeah but you see even if he did like say that, but it's very common. It's a it's a very well known international strategy also for activists to you know when you visit and you have the chance to meet um, overseas um, um, political leaders, right? You you would lobby for specific causes. Like say when there was apartheid in South Africa, 
right? Activists from South Africa were, you know, when they went to places like the UK or the US, you know, they would talk about the situation in South Africa and, and push for change in South Africa, right? So this idea of lobbying overseas politicians is actually not new, lah. Yeah, but it's just that in 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 Singapore, this whole thing just got twisted, yeah, into a foreign interference uh, kind of argument, yeah. yeah? And, and it's only in authoritarian contexts where you will hear politicians say things like foreign interference is bad. There's foreign interference every day. All the, the time. All the time, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The diplomacy yeah. is foreign interference. That's what exactly. the whole Ministry of Foreign Affairs was set up for. Right? Maybe so, they are like traitors too. Oh. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. So, so yeah, lah. So it's, it's a very selective um, use of an argument to, to demonize activists, lah. I think the other thing is also like how patriotism is framed in Singapore. Like, if you speak up against the government, you're not patriotic, right? Like, they confuse the government and Singapore and, and then like, so anytime someone speaks badly about the government, they take it that you're speaking badly about Singapore, which is unpatriotic. In this this case, right, there's nothing bad said about it at all. Yeah, it's just bringing democracy. What's wrong with democracy? And like I said, uh, the wording he used was very, very careful. He, he, he said promote democracy throughout Southeast Asia. And then, so what the PAP construed that is, well, Singapore is in Southeast Asia, so, you know, are you saying that you should bring your democracy <laughs> to Singapore? Are you implying we're not a democracy? Like what you say, like, the word that you use, twisted, right? I think that, like, sums up nicely how this whole situation went. Perceptions about you, have they changed since this, like, tarring of, of you as a traitor? I, I don't know, because I... Most people that I know and talk to don't think that that whole saga was overblown, disproportionate and ridiculous. Lah. Mm. I'm not sure about the average Singaporean. Lah, but I suspect the average Singaporean doesn't care. Yeah. So- he probably just read the headlines and then disregarded the yeah, whole entire article. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I- I'm glad of a couple of things. I'm glad that you guys didn't take it lying down and then you wrote a letter to PM Lee. I'm also glad that one or two uh, local outlets like Mothership gave a more balanced view of uh, what happened. Uh, I think there was a Mothership article talking about how Mahathir made you guys feel uncomfortable. Yes, that's right, because we, this was something which Kirsten and I shared. Yeah, we just shared very honestly what happened. Uh. So that was when I started talking about his homophobia, his racism. Yeah, so and then we were like, we were not comfortable with those views. Uh. Yeah, so I mean, that was exactly what went on in that meeting. Right? It was not a discussion to talk about step one, this is what you do to bring democracy <laughs> to Singapore. Step two, this is what you do. Step three, this is what you do. I mean, it wasn't that. <laughs> step one, cut off supplies to, like water supplies to Singapore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> step two, invade. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, it's, and we are just like, who are we to Mahathir? We're just a bunch of nobodies, right? So, so I suspect he just made use of us to troll the Singapore government. Uh. That's all. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah I feel like that is probably the case. Like, you know, it feels extremely intentional on his part yes. to, to en- engineer this uh, meeting between the, all four of you troublemakers, so-called, right? And, and then, like, it's like a giant fuck you to the Singapore government. Yes, Singapore that's right. So right? we were used as pawns to yeah. be a fuck you to the Singapore government. Right, right, yeah. right, right. Sir, what do you have to say to the common detractor on the street? Like, do you have a message for them? For the uncle who's like, Ah, this Jolivan, wow! This kind of like, um, oh. I'm talking about that very specific type. If you have, you know, one message you want to send to them, what could it possibly be? So my job is just to talk about the 不好的地方. And the reason why I focus a lot on, on the injustice only is because we are living in a country where Everywhere, good things are said about the government all the time, right? So there's no balance, okay. right? So, so people like us are the balance, you know? So it, and, and I'm not the first to come up with this idea. Like, I mean, uh, Joshua Chiang, who is like the ex-TOC, uh, editor of TOC, he said that because there were accusations on TOC saying that uh, the TOC is unbalanced. And he was like, no, we're not unbalanced. We are the balance. You know, and, and, and that's correct. In, in, in the country where everyone is doing the government's bidding, where everyone is just following the status quo and everyone is just amplifying and reflecting what the government says and does, people who don't do that are such a precious commodity, you see. Okay. That's why it's important to always continue to speak truth to power and to be critical. Mm. Yeah, just to provide a balance in that landscape. Do okay. Have any, any, uh... I, I want to ask one, yeah. one last question. Okay. I, w- I was talking to NG and Dan about it just now. So now we know Singapore doesn't really have a lot of freedom of speech. We know Singapore really doesn't have transparency in information. 
granted that these two are not really within our reach, but if we were to give you one, which one would you prefer? Do you prefer a freedom of information where everything is transparent in the government, or do you prefer to be able to say whatever you want? This is a false dilemma, by the way. Yeah, yeah it is a false <laughs> dilemma. How do you expect me to answer this kind of question? But you Ayo. have to because you're on the longer kitty. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is more important, speech or information? Mm. <laughs> I think speech la. Otherwise I will just explode internally If I can't say what I want <laughs> Yeah, Even if the government doesn't Be completely transparent about their Dealings right At least you can criticise them Yeah you can still yeah, criticise yeah. them for it And yeah. say yeah, I, I, I want that transparency right? Yeah. Yeah. The reverse is that They're completely transparent But you can't say shit <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so uh, in this podcast, sir, it is customary for for me to posit a hypothetical. <laughs> oh to no, I hate hypothetical <laughs> questions. Oh my god, false dilemmas, always false oh, dilemmas. They are abound in false dilemmas. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> we only deal in false dilemmas here yeah. in the Long Kang Kitties. Yeah, we call it uh, we call it dance magical moments, and I will posit this hypothetical to you. You just pretend that it's true, and then you you just uh, answer as you would, lah. So, ladies and gentlemen, you are now walking down a single. You're walking down Amokyo Avenue tree, off to go and buy some groceries or what have you not. Suddenly, there is a thunderous roar in the sky, and the sky breaks open, and Lee Kuan Yew himself descends from the heavens, <laughs> wreathed in flames. He approaches you straight away, and he's like, "I shall give you this boon, oh Singaporean," he says. So he he gives you three choices. Okay, the first one is uh, concerns the death penalty. The second one concerns freedom of speech and POFMA. Okay, and the last one concerns... Uh, yes, yes, uh, 377A, thank you. <laughs> okay, so what, what happens is that he gives you these three options. And the thing is that you can pick any one of them to go through. And it will go through immediately by the might of Lee Kuan Yew. So if you pick 377A, immediately on the spot, okay, 377A will be repealed regardless of what everybody says. However, the remaining two uh, will suffer. Uh, oh, in the next four, or five, next four or five lifetimes, uh, you will remain status quo. So you have to pick one okay, for him to use his magic Lee Kuan Yew powers on okay, at the expense of the other two. So one more time, for the benefit of our audiences, death penalty, number one. Number two, freedom of speech and POFMA. And number three, 377A. Okay, Jerry, you go first. Oh, this might be the heaviest magical moment. I think ever you know, two, two or three years running this what, what's worse pain spike pain spike up your ass pain spike is not as bad <laughs> okay uh, uh, the second one free speech and pofma second one I'm sorry <laughs> okay so it's, it's still pofma yeah. and freedom of speech yes okay alright um, I'll ask him to remove the law that uh, penalizes you for feeding pigeons and then I'll let the other three just be worse forever. <laughs> no, but what if what if you cannot request? It's just those three. Nice. Nah, uh, then the rest. The none of the above, lah. Right. None of the above. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I will pick. But the pigeons, you know, we, <laughs> we yeah, need them pigeons, happy, man. Yeah. We need them fat, and we need, just in case of the apocalypse, you know, with the with the woo flu going around, and uh, we may need to eat pigeons one day. So. Time to invest. Yeah, down with wolf flu, then with bird flu, right? <laughs> stunned <himself>. <laughs> <laughs> This happens very often, by the way. It's, yeah. it's, it's either 377A or POFMA. Oh, you can't fucking... What the fuck? Every okay, time okay, you do okay, this... okay, 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 okay. POFMA, 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 freedom of speech, okay? Okay. Alright. So now the spotlight is on you. <laughs> yeah, actually, I'm going to agree with all of you. It's, for me, like, it's also POFMA and freedom of speech. And, and the reason I say this is because I think our fight for democracy mm. underpins every single issue that we're all concerned about. Mm. Yeah. So if there's no freedom of speech, there's no free and independent media, if we don't have the right to advocate freely, then we won't be able to be effective advocates for all the other issues that we are concerned about. Whether it's women's rights, um, LGBT rights, death penalty. Feeding pigeons. Or feeding pigeons, exactly, yeah. <laughs> d democracy and freedom of speech underlies every single issue and that's why I'm interested in it. Okay. 
Yeah, and I don't want to just work very narrowly on migrant workers or LGBT rights. Right. Yeah, so I think it's important to infuse our advocacy for democracy into all the work that we do. Mm-hmm. Excellent, excellent. excellent. Sorry, a very boring answer. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's the most good, excellent uh, answer. Good, uh. Yeah, it's good, it's good, it's good. I think it's the most thought anyone has ever given to like uh like the most proper answer we've ever had for our dance magical moment, right? Yeah, yeah. There was like a learning out. there was an actual learning point. <laughs> <laughs> he asked he asked Dr. Chi whether he would serve you know, eat food from you know, shit encrusted hands of Lisa <laughs> <laughs> What the fuck? Why did you ask that? Hey, he's uh, our beacon of democracy. Yes, that's you know? true. He's so rude to him. But by the yeah. way, by the way, right? He's the Lee Kuan Yew of the opposition. <laughs> but however, that's it, right? Doctor Chi gave a superb answer. Yes, as well. yes, yeah. very diplomatic and very politician-like. So, yes. so we were uh, all yeah. blown away by his uh, very PC uh, answer. Uh, right. Yeah. yeah. So, we he, saw his metal. Yeah, if he can't handle like silly old Dan, how can he handle like a foreign politician in the future when he sits on the right. in the parliament? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. That's true. <laughs> like, how how would he know what to do when someone actually serves him? You know, food with shit and crusted hands. What right? if Donald Trump serve him food with shit and crusted hands? <laughs> what are you gonna do then, Doctor Chi? What was his answer? Do you remember? Uh, he said he will turn to um, Ho Ching, and very discreetly whisper to her like, "Hey, I think your husband has shit on his hands." <laughs> and then Ho Ching will be the one to tell um, PMD. Oh right, so is PMD the one that's serving him food with? With dirty hands, ah, there's no, there's no hard evidence to suggest that it's shit. Yeah, I just said it was brown on the hands. Yeah. But but the 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 thing is like we all know that he went to the toilet prior to serving yeah. food, lah. Ah, I see. This is all hypothetical, by the way. In case you don't already know, <laughs> what happened in dance magical wonderland? I love and respect the oh. Singapore PAP government. They are very good. Okay, I said that already. Uh. Editor, please leave that in. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, who did this? This is very nice. Oh, that oh, was by like Dan Wong. Dan Wong. I guess you like oh, it. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm an illustrator and I, I use a lot of satire in my work. And I, yes, I, yeah. it is very good. Yeah. You should like it. Do you sell your stuff? I uh, used to, used to, but oh, now no longer. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. No, but this is, this, is, this is excellent. I'm glad you like it, sir. So go on to Good hey, Citizen. Don't call me sir. La. Like, it makes oh. me feel like... Oh, I, I, call every, oh I, I call... The story behind this is that uh. when I was in army, right? I was uh. told to call officers sir. So oh. I was like, this is fucked up. Why should I call anybody sir? Then I realised uh, to take the power away from me, right? You call everybody sir. The driver, the foreman, the uncle. Oh, yeah, call right. everybody sir. Right. That's so he's actually disrespecting you. <laughs> right. No, 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 no. This is a yeah, well, a very, very, very socialist approach. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Democratizing the word, sir. Yeah, yeah. That's right. mm. Do you feel better about being called sir right now? If if she calls you sir, so lah. <laughs> he does. He does. I call her ma'am. <laughs> Jolovan, um, do you have any other events or any things that are happening in in any one of your scenes uh, regarding the hats that you wear that you want to tell our audiences about? Oh, events are not, mm. are not really. Okay. Oh, what yeah. about like, um, just plug yourself or just let the audience know where they can find you, how they can reach out and so on and so forth. Well, actually, there are a couple of projects that I want to work on. I can just say lah. Yeah, just sure. go ahead. Okay, I would like to document instances of, I would like to document instances where police have been abusive yeah, to people. Mm. So um, I also would like to talk to ex-prisoners to find out more about what prison conditions are like. Yeah, because I understand prison conditions here are not first world, even though we are in the first world country. So I think it's important to to talk about that and to document that. Yeah, so these are things which I would like to be able to do. So if there are people out there who have knowledge of um, police abuse of power or prison conditions, do get in touch with me. How can they do so? Uh, I and you can find me by uh, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So my handles are all um, Jolivan Wem, so it's very easy to find me. Okay, we'll yeah. we'll be posting all your all your, all your handles uh, down in the description box below. So if you guys have any stories, or if you want to just reach out to Jolivan and be like Jolivan, you're awesome, you know. Thanks for doing what you do. Mm. Uh, you can reach him there. Okay. okay. So with that, uh, that will be the end of the show. Thank you uh, very much, Jolivan, for coming on. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, sacrificing many your thanks. Sunday to chat with us, degenerates. <laughs> um, <laughs> And uh, thank you, audiences, for listening to us. Okay, mm. we have your goodbye meal. Goodbye meal. One, two, three. Bye. 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 <laughs>